Welcome to the North American Logistics Tech Summit here at FreightWaves. It's our virtual summit covering everything technology and logistics and freight and the supply chain. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the executive publisher here at FreightWaves with Santosh Sankar. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah. yeah, great to be here. It's great to have you here, Santosh. So uh, you are one of the, the, the partners in Dynamo, the, the yep. VC fund based here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yep. Scenic City's home for us, and, and we're proud of it, yeah. That's great, and you guys started when, uh, around 2016 with your first fund? We did, so uh, back in 2016, uh, we came out uh, into the world, and we were uh, the first, if not one of the first funds to kind of put a flag in um, the ground and say, hey, like supply chain technology, there is a enduring thesis, a franchise one can build here around venture capital. And when I say venture capital uh, for folks in our audience, like we are some of the early of the early, right? Like we come in and uh, there's a subset of our investments where uh, it's an amazing team. They have this like amazing insight that they can compound and build a business around and we'll write them an investment and work with them to kind of this point where they're able to scale and introduce capital and relationships uh, in order to help them do that. And that's seed, and do you do pre-seed as we well? We do pre-seed as well. Okay, and for our audience out there who aren't VC masters or are <laughs> in tune with the VC world, what does seed really mean? Yeah, that's a uh, good question. So uh, the, the way one can think about pre-seed and seed and the way we simplified even for ourselves is pre-seed is when you are pre-revenue, broadly speaking. You, you might have a product, you might have some people that are giving you feedback, tinkering, but you're largely pre-revenue. And seed stage is early revenue generating. Um, so that's kind of how one can think about it. Now, kind of right now, like you'll hear like the venture market's hot. It is. It is red hot. I, there's so many deals out there right now, we can barely count them. Mm -hmm. Right, they're, they're flooding in here to, to FreightWaves.com every single day. We're writing up, you know, um, Ship Hero just uh, did 50 million, yep. Project 44, yep. did a huge round. It just goes on and on every yep. single day. Yep, it is super hot, and you might find that some of these distinctions I provide you, people are funding it without paying attention to some of these distinctions. Because if you note know how I've described the stages around the traction of the business. And that's where also we kind of maybe tongue in cheek say we like to take some of the great parts of West Coast venture investing with some of the pragmatism maybe you'll find in New York or even in Europe because we're global and we bring it together to help our founders build just great enduring businesses. Right? Yeah, and it's just that, that pre-revenue as so you're saying and, and just now getting revenue. So they're smaller checks. Um, so our, our check size is, uh, we announced last week, we uh, just closed our second fund, yes. uh, 43.21 million. So I'll yeah. let that kind of uh, <laughs> sink in to, to be able to like that numerology humor. But uh, our check uh, sizes range anywhere from 250 up to mm -hmm. about one and a half million. Um, so it really depends on where we're entering, obviously kind of the valuation in terms of the deal. But a lot of that's driven by, right, team. We say 80% of a decision is always team-based. But market dynamics, what type of traction they ultimately bring. Yeah. And so, so freight tech has been hot for the last five, ten years. You know, certainly the last five years. Yeah. A lot of money has poured in from VCs. We, 
the last year we went through COVID, we went through the pandemic, we went through supply chain issues around the globe. Yeah. How hot is it going to get coming up in the next couple of years? Yeah. So uh, I, I totally agree with you that there's been increased attention into the types of things we all think about, right? Mainstream. It's Main, mainstream, it's mainstream right? When, when you have uh, local publications in some of the cities across the country talking about how toilet papers run out, and you know it's because of this thing called the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Oh, like we don't care about the supply chain unless it's broken, right? Yes, exactly. And then everybody cares, and they're like, oh, what is that thing? Oh, a container? Like, oh, yeah, like, what about that guy that tried to do a handbrake turn in the canal? But <laughs> um, the thing that we saw, and and I'll kind of take you into a part of like when we were raising our fund, right? From mm -hmm. large institutions, we were asked the question, one manager manages billions of dollars. You're telling me like you can build a fund after fund investing in technology to service supply chain? What is that? And we're like, oh boy. Uh, uh -huh. And I remember uh, we like that, it was a late evening and we were trying to compile anecdotes and data to prove. Mm -hmm. And that was pre-pandemic. Now, as we went through the pandemic and we finished out the raise earlier this year, we didn't have to, that, it was a thing. It was like, we get it. Yeah, we know exactly what it is. <laughs> we, we know what supply chain is. So I say that because uh, we're, I think, entering into this golden age of supply chain technology right now, where you've had a first era or first generation of technology-oriented business, right? The convoys, the flex ports of the world, that people start to say, oh, that's interesting. And now you're getting to this point where now you have large generalist investors in venture capital saying, and equally corporate saying, we need to invest there, either as customers or as investors, we need to allocate more chips. You, you, so we've seen more corporations mm -hmm. invest in early stage startups and, and startups. Yes. In, so the team at Ryder has a great corporate venturing exactly right. program now yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. These uh, venture capitalists within the, the, the corporations, right? Mm -hmm. Investing uh, dollars into new technologies that, that, that they can use in the future. Yeah. And if we think about the origin of some of these uh, supply chain institutions, organizations are very entrepreneurial, right? Mm -hmm. Highly entrepreneurial. And it's interesting to see how, you know, at this point, they're kind of coming back around and hitting some of those roots to say, hey, like, how do we think about disrupting ourselves? We don't want the innovator's dilemma or who moved my cheese and complain about it. But how do we actually lean into some of this that might cause discomfort? Yeah. A lot of discomfort, really. Mm -hmm. So so when you look at, at the landscape of freight tech, what kind of technologies are you really, uh, you know, ecstatic about? Yeah. Um, so sometimes it kind of um, leaves our audience bewildered when we say, like, we are not focused on software or hardware mm -hmm. or a particular business model. Because what we want to do is we want to approach each and every problem. Because when we define the supply chain, Kevin, we look at it across five major areas. So furthest upstream is uh, everything related to manufacturing, procurement, supplier management. We affectionately call it factories, farms, facilities, where we build yep. units of value. But when you just very simplistically follow a pallet through the system, mm -hmm. international logistics, surface transportation, warehousing fulfillment last mile. That's our world. And we, the problems in each part of the supply chain are very different. They require the merit and the rigor of having different types of solutions and business models. So I'll open with that. Um, where we think if we had to pick one spot and say we need to over-index, um, 
is around warehousing fulfillment. And if we were to think about the last 10 years or so, how things have kind of panned out in and around supply chain, the consumer actually has been the focal, right? Amazon has kind of conditioned us to expect yeah. things two days, same day, uh, incredible amount of visibility into that uh, fulfillment mm -hmm. process. But then think of like everything around DoorDash, Uber, right? We've been conditioned to, and equally, that's where the venture money is gone, yes. if you think about it. And it's because when you think about the VCs that are at the generalist shops, you know, credit to them. They've done great for themselves, but they saw that. They lived that, right? It's like, oh, somebody can bring me my dinner? That's really cool. But that's forcing a rewrite up the supply chain. So the next natural pace is warehousing fulfillment. But guess what? We are warehouse constrained in most developed markets. In most developed countries, we don't have enough warehouses. You're exactly right. We, we don't have enough warehouses, and that especially applies to the cold chain. Mm -hmm. Cold warehousing, it, the capacity is, is not there whatsoever. Is it is part of the warehousing is because there, there hasn't been that much investment in technology in most warehousing. You know, you have the Amazons and you have the big box retailers who have invested in that. They're, they're pretty tech savvy. But, but there's a lot of warehouses out there right now who are still, you know, paper and pen. Yeah. It's all paper and pen. So it's twofold. I think mm -hmm. like the, the one thing that we're touching on is we don't, just don't have capacity. We don't have the physical boxes to put up, like freight in. But then the second piece to that is as you're seeing this new generation of assets come online, there is now, hey, like we understand the savvy of some of the best players in industry. How do we ensure that it's an automation heavy environment? So that's certainly an opportunity that we continue to lean on. We've made a handful of investments already. But what happens to the existing legacy environments, right? They need to be able to compete and provide the same type yeah. of operating leverage that the new players or their, their new facilities in the portfolio mm -hmm. have. But you have these mixed environments where you have man and you have machine. And that's where safety is a big thing we're interested in in, in that sense. You know what? That, that's, uh, that, that's something that's probably underserved or undervalued right now. Mm -hmm. But but it, it makes a, a a big difference. Safety that's a, that's a great space. Safety and um, at the end of the day, like we we have one uh, founder in our portfolio, Eric Niev is a plus one, and he'll say like, at the end of the day, you have to understand the beauty of the human. Like we have context, emotional awareness, dexterity. So yes, things will be increasingly more oper uh, are automated, but like the human is still very important as a part of the. It, it is, and that brings up uh, another point, right? Machine learning, AI, RPA, we we all hear about it all the time. Yeah. Is that a little bit overhyped? Is it here yet? Uh, what are some of the, the real uses for it? Uh, that is a very good question, and um, that's where oftentimes we'll have uh, corporates in our network call us and say, like, Hey, like, is that actually like ML or it's like, well, like, what are the types of questions one asks mm -hmm. to ascertain it? And we actually will walk them back and say, okay, like, what are, what's the outcome you're trying to get to? And oftentimes, like, there's like very rudimentary, basic, like correlations one can run in a spreadsheet to get to 80% of the answer they might be seeking. It's like, well, do you even need to go down mm -hmm. this uh, rabbit trail? But there are parts of the supply chain workflow. You mentioned RPA, right? And that's where ML and AI could be interesting. Because mm -hmm. what you're actually trying to do, if you think about brokerage business models, business models oriented around services, the reason technology exists is to provide operating leverage to that business. And basically, 
what that means is you're able to add revenue and you don't need to actually add humans, right? Yep. That marginal revenue dollar actually is serviced by technology. And that's what you have to think about. And as you're thinking about going through this process or this conversation with the startup, oftentimes you have to understand how are you learning the culture of what I do? Because mm -hmm. that's actually the differentiation. Right? When we think about the 3PL landscape, 3PLs build a name around service and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And that is very much tied to your culture. Yes. So your point, or, or, or rather your question answering directly on AIML, it is a thing, but you have to make sure that the talent a company brings you, and when you sit down with them and you might have a conversation with the VP of engineering, it's actually, does this person have the chops? Like what did they do before? Mm -hmm. How are they articulating the key parts of their product? What type of things do they need from you around the integration in order to deliver value, right? And mm -hmm. you should probably be hearing uh, articulation around this is our model, this is what the training data we need for the model is. Mm -hmm. This is how long it takes for our model to understand certain outcomes and to then drive value to you. Right? Yeah. These are yeah. the types of things that I, I, I look mm -hmm. for and I understand, okay, you're able to articulate the things related to this type of product or business. That's, that's awesome. So, so this, this summit is mostly dedicated to North America. So, so we're looking at US, Canada, to Mexico. Mm -hmm. Dynamo, though, invests in worldwide supply chain companies. What, what's the big differences between investing in Europe or the Middle East or Asia as opposed to here in the US? Yeah. Uh, oh, boy, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, and it, it, comes down to, it comes down to a few things, but it's very much around the sales and service orientation, right? You're talking about different languages, different cultures, and that means business practices are wildly different. And the one thing you'll see when we invest abroad, even in English-speaking developed Europe, we'll oftentimes look for a, a local or a regional co-investor to work with. Mm -hmm. And we look for them bring some boots on the ground support, but also like how do you navigate cultures and ways of doing business, language, if that's mm -hmm. important. But the interesting thing that you'll oftentimes see is that between at least the U.S. and Europe, in the U.S. here, we're a few years ahead of kind of where things in Europe are as we mm -hmm. think about technology, the implementation of technology. So the one thing we can also do is we can actually take our observations and lessons here and cross-pollinate it to our European founders. Asia is different. Asia, there's very much kind of the influence of the public sector in the way one does business, culture is very different. So it's even more important to appreciate that and equally have a local kind of partner there to shepherd us along. Yeah, it's cer certainly the, the, the cultural differences always, uh, they're always a challenge. Mm -hmm. Though they're fun, but it's still a challenge, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and one needs to be sensitive to it and, and aware of it, because uh, equally you don't want to like lean into a reputation of look at that dumb American, yeah, right? yeah. like coming here and, and, and trying to do this and that. But uh, it's fascinating to see some of the product sophistication coming out of markets in Asia. And, and I have this belief that actually you see a lot of interesting supply chain oriented innovation that's starting in Asia. And over time, it makes its way into mm -hmm. developing markets. It actually goes westward. And we can learn from that. We've seen in other sectors, and I think we can learn from that, understand that a little better, and figure out whether it makes sense to actually uh, kind of encourage and, and cultivate here. What, what do you think about some of the future trends here? You know, you guys just raised 43 million, 43, what? 43.21 million. 0.21 million. 4321, so, yeah. 4321. 
And, uh, and it was really based on a couple observations that you had. And certainly COVID has changed the supply chain. What are the major trends that you're seeing outside of, you know, of course, technology and new startups and, and, and um, are going to attack these problems? But what are the problems that, that we need solutions for right now? Yeah. Um, so because we spend our life like dwelling in this, some of the things that we'll oftentimes invest in will feel esoteric or like really, mm -hmm. what, that right now? Um, but uh, visibility has been one. I know there's been a lot of capital put against visibility. When I first started in the industry also, uh, I had an executive who had been at that point like 35 years and pulled me aside. He goes, listen, like in the 80s when I started, we we're talking about visibility. I was like, well, why are we still talking about it today? He's like, it's unsolved. And uh, mm -hmm. we still believe it's unsolved. And you can see that in some of what we've experienced to date. So we continue to be really interested in visibility, not just the data. Mm -hmm. What can one glean from the data? That was my next question, really, because, you know, over the last, I've been trucking seven, eight years now, a lot of data. You know, there's more and more data coming online. You have the ELD, uh, ELDs come online, a lot of data with that, a lot of data with the visibility. How do you determine what's useful data and what's not useful data? Right. I mean, that's that's something it's like we have all this this data. I'll say it once again, data, data, data. Yeah. Right. We have all this data. We still really haven't figured out how to use it. Well, we uh, gosh, it was like four years ago. We had the core executive team of a publicly traded 3PL in our office up the street. And uh, I remember one executive like just pound his fist on the table. He's like, I'm just done with data. I'm done with dashboards. <laughs> it's like up to this. He's like, I want to know. So what? Mm -hmm. And he said, I want to know so what, but I actually want you to just do it and then come back to me with an audit report. And if there's ever anything I need to dwell or, or dig into, mm -hmm. I can go do that. Um, so as we think about what does visibility ultimately provide, we've actually come to a belief that people don't actually buy visibility. People don't buy visibility. They buy the so what of visibility. Yeah. But there's a belief sometimes when you speak to founders and also sometimes the buyers like, we just need better visibility, but why do you need better visibility? I know. It's... So we actually have just closed a, an investment that's unannounced around visibility in the parcel and e-com fulfillment sector. So if you think about, hey, you get this status update uh, from one of the carriers that your parcel is due to arrive today. You're all excited. You get home. It's not there. Mm -hmm. You know what happened? The possession scan when you left the outbound dock at whoever the fulfillment provider is was incorrect. So actually there was a mispick and you had a truck that was on its way, but you have marooned a couple packages, right? But how do you actually solve that? Because you know what, depending on who you are, that's a $50 issue yeah. because a customer's calling you or they're going to spin up the chat bot. But what about all the brand and reputational damage? What about the SLA that you had with your 3PL provider mm -hmm. in order to get a certain level of accuracy and non-timeliness? So like, these are the types of things ultimately, right? I'm not going to sell you the visibility, but I'm going to sell you the modules that allow mm -hmm. you to handle by exception in your fulfillment network and make the whole system more accountable and transparent to one. And on visibility, I, again, you hear a lot about visibility on the road, in transit, but working your way up the, the supply chain into to manufacturing, there's, I, I don't know too much about it, but I, I would have to think that there's a lot of room for improved visibility throughout the entire sub supply chain. I know we talk about the transportation logistics yeah. part of it, 
but on through that. So, the, so the let's operational. take the journey upstream uh, mm -hmm. for, for a moment, right? Um, you had uh, Jet and the team at P44 acquired Ocean Insights uh, about a month or two ago. Now, yeah, yeah. In the, so in the last quarter. Very recent, very, very recent. Uh, we, we actually invested a year ago in a company called Vision that provides API services around container visibility. And that was a year ago and it like was not obvious, right? And and now it's like, wow. Uh, yeah. This looks like, oh. <laughs> but it's like, but again, it goes back to these like esoteric problems that yeah. are not solved and it feels simplistic. Like one should be able to know where your containers not but that easy, my friend. <laughs> so uh, that's one level beyond service transportation, but it has impact, mm -hmm. right? If you're a drape provider, how do you think about route planning, shift scheduling, labor management? How do you not end up at uh, the terminal just queuing up like you're seeing at Port of LA, Long Beach? But then even further up to your mm -hmm. point, right? And some people call this the first mile logistics where how can you even be really smart about your international forwarding operations if one doesn't have capability to understand mm -hmm. the first mile? And uh, you have some interesting companies, uh, Rob Garrison down at Mercado, uh, that he was trying to provide this type of capability and service to say, hey, when there's a delay in manufacturing, like you need to trigger all these other yeah, exceptions. Yeah. That's what they call the, the bullwhip effect. Right? That's right. And you have these huge angles right now, these huge waves of bullwhip effect and visibility, the better visibility you get, the, 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 the smaller the, this fluctuation. Yeah, in, in theory, but also how do we prevent the human from getting into it, right? Where we, we tend to overcorrect ourselves and you'll see this in asset-based businesses where you see a big like purchase uh, binge of mm -hmm. tractors and you go on a hiring spree for new truckers or equally the, the steamship lines are now commissioning ships back in in order to rebalance containers. Well, we also have to remember we're, we're human, but that's for like data and allowing to a certain degree machine to maybe take over some of these more quantitative mm -hmm. um, tasks can allow us to have a more yeah, resilient yeah. and even kill supply chain. So here we are, we are coming up on 4th of July, the end of June yeah. here in 2021. It's just flown by just like that. Yeah. What's in store for us in the second half when it comes to freight tech and, and really the freight markets, logistics market, what are your back of the envelope predictions? Oh, this is good. Um, so I don't believe that we're gonna see the uh, container mess unfold for another year. Uh, I, I think that we're gonna continue to see a lot of turmoil at our ports. Uh, I think it's gonna reveal uh, perhaps similar to the silicon uh, conversation around, hey, is there like a national security mm -hmm. aspect to it? I think you're gonna see maybe not national security, but an economic security question raised where are we investing enough? Are we modernizing our terminals, our requisite port operations? That's gonna keep inventories low for the next 12 months. Um, the risk here now is that if inventories continue to stay low, does that hinder consumer spending? It's the largest part of GDP. What does that do for our broader economic health? So that's probably not as happy of, of the things one might hope to hear from me because I'm supposed to be an optimist. Well, you know, it depends on what side of the, the, the um, trade you're on, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it, it true. It really does. Uh, yeah, that, that, uh, totally right, <laughs> totally right. Um, but. I think the, the types of things that we're seeing as a result of last year, the ongoing tensions around supply chain this year is you're having, we're seeing corporates having meaningful conversations at the board level down saying, how do we invest further into technology, but how do we think about our entire relationship 
right? Like the supply mm -hmm. chain is the, I, I call it the, like the OG, I'm a millennial, the, the OG network effects business. Yeah. Right? We're talking about a network, like we're a community oh, yeah. here. So uh, continuing to see really interesting things around how workflows are inserted. And we have, I think, seen a great crop of businesses that are horizontal in the nature that they'll go after most industries with a horizontal supply chain technology mm -hmm. solution. But equally, how do you think about different verticals? So we actually invested in a dairy supply chain business earlier this year. We're seeing interesting opportunities in consumer electronics related to that as well, uh, pharmaceutical as well. So I think you'll continue to see certain digitizations of vertical supply chains uh, that we're uh, really interested about. Uh, I also think that you're going to see uh, at this point, more interesting things come out of Europe as well mm -hmm. when it comes to how do you think about pushing the envelope on supply chain technology, specifically in and around automotive. If you think about just the concentration of talent and mind, but stress mm -hmm. on industry in, in Europe, Germany, France, and Renault, uh, the UK, Jaguar, Land Rover, although you're not supposed to call them Europe now, they're the UK, um, silly American. Yeah. But how do you actually piece all this together? And, and what I'm also articulating is these are big underlying industries to the economy. So if they're under stress and they're under prolonged stress, consumers can't get what they need, uh, you're going to see a broader economic backdrop that may not be as favorable. But like I think to your point, Kevin, like there are mm -hmm. certain areas where we can all play, be good partners, make the right type of investments in order to hopefully keep things stable. It really is. I, I think we termed it, uh, we, we, we said this a couple weeks ago, it's the golden age of supply chain right now. It's very interesting times. It's good to, to be a student of, of the supply chain. Technology is going to improve it uh, as we kind of maybe get out of a little bit of the, the chaos that we're in yeah. right now. And, um, you know, congratulations to, to Dynamo and yourself for, for raising the next fund. And, and hopefully it's, it's even more successful than, than, than your first one. Uh, that is our plan, and and I'm I'm excited to say we've uh, partnered with some amazing founders, and and really all credit to them. They're they're doing the hard work. We're just fortunate enough to be on the ride. That's that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining Thank us, you. Sasha, and doing our keynote here to kick off the day. We have some awesome fireside chats coming up. We have some some great demos, and uh, it's going to be a great day of technology and what's in future for the supply chain and logistics and freight tech. Yep.